welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And today, Tiny Voice is talking about opening doors. And I'm joined by the one and only Bob Cox. So welcome, Bob. Well, thank you very much, Toria. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for the invitation to, uh, to speak on Tiny Voice. I'm so excited you're here. And what the listeners won't know is how many great conversations that we have had in the run up to this. Because honestly, Bob and I can talk people. So you're lucky if we're going to keep this sort of, you know, to a decent podcast length, I tell you. Now, for anyone that hasn't come across you, Bob, who is Bob Cox? Who is Bob Cox? Goodness me. Well, I'm the author of the Opening Doors series of five books, which are all about challenging texts. Uh, with about 80 units across them. Um, I'm 23 years a teacher and many years also a consultant, coach, educationist. Um, I still think the word that I like best is teacher, uh, but I'm teaching adults um, percentage-wise a lot more than children these days. But uh, we're here to support schools in your exciting English journeys. Love that. And you know, in our communications, you wrote that actually what you wanted to build is belief that teachers are the key people whose ambition for their pupils can make all the difference. So where does that stem from, Bob? Did you always want to do that or is it something that emerged? It's a, it's a long story and I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> there was never any big plan. Um, I loved teaching, um, and, but as the years went on, I sought opportunities to actually work across many schools in projects which involved teaching, coaching, consulting, um, secondary into primary, and then gradually even more primary, and uh, often about outstanding learning, high-level provision, uh, which all children could access. And as I went on those journeys across what has to be now hundreds and hundreds of schools, Mm. I did see a similar a pattern emerge of um, many, many really, really good lessons um, that somehow reached the ceiling. And I worked okay. out really that the ceiling was often the use of the text itself. And that led me to work with lots and lots of schools on challenging texts, texts that had a deeper scope for learning, mm. had vocabulary which was more interesting in my mm -hmm. terminology in somebody else's terminology it might be they might call it a hurdle or Doug Lemoff in Reading Reconsidered calls them plagues of archaic mm -hmm. language and so on but I think there are opportunities to actually learn more and and as we really work together um, in clusters and teams um, there was this wonderful spirit coming from the teachers to take things further and realise the opportunities that challenging texts can give. And a long story, but that led to the writing of the Opening Doors series. Wow. So I talked to Pycorb about challenging texts. Do you have the same thought process as him about the teacher reading the challenging text to the, the, the children beforehand? Or how would you approach a challenging text? We found from feedback from our schools, and we have a national network of many, mm. many schools and organisations called Opening Doors Schools, um, all of which you can see on my website. Um, uh, and the feedback was very much that they liked the approach that we recommended for texts which are difficult, ambitious mm. and more challenging, not in a way that is in somehow intimidating, but in a way which is 
full of curiosity. And that method okay. was much more chunky. Going stage by stage, um, if you imagine slightly more complex poetry that can be read out and yet not really understood, but by going stage by stage with pictures, with slivers of text, some teachers then inserted music, drama, you build up access and you build up access to knowledge in stages. And by doing it in stages, the knowledge can be accessed by the memory banks and fully digested. I often use the stepping stone image that you, you're stepping across a river. How yeah. about just stopping on one of the stones? Don't be in so much of a rush. And teachers are using just two or three lines of complex text and exploring and teaching and also teaching spelling, punctuation, grammar. You think how punctuation can be taught through a poem so well because the way you read it out is conditioned by where the comma goes. And suddenly they're learning why a comma is used, not just yeah. spot the comma and fill in the gap. Um, and it's been a fascinating journey. And we've had a lot of good feedback on that. So where the text is more challenging, mm. um, actually reading it out at the beginning it can actually make some children's spaces go a little bit blank and they're possibly beginning to think some of that, that looks a bit hard. But with teaching strategies, which is what I've just described, is just some simple teaching strategies, mm. then our teachers clarify and educate and inspire. In other words, they make language and literature learning possible that would not be possible without them. And that's why the teacher's skills, quality, confidence, enthusiasm, love is at the centre of all we do. Because I've got a career-long belief that it's the teacher that makes the difference in the classroom. Because you can probably imagine how many educational initiatives I've seen coming and going. Uh, because I, I, I was a student in 1978. Wow. Uh, don't faint anybody out there. Um, and uh, the consistent thing is the quality of the teacher because yeah. the teacher in the classroom makes those decisions according to what the children have learnt, not learnt, found hard, found easy, and can then move them on. The chunk-to-chunk -chunk method leads to a very exciting reveal. So I can remember teaching a lesson on uh, a, a section from Jane Eyre Chunk by chunk on Jane Eyre's sleepless night when, in fact, there's a, there's a fire being lit by Mr. Rochester's wife, but she doesn't know that at that point. The tension builds. Mm. She can't get to sleep. You take it stage by stage, um, and then you can say to them, okay, shall I read the whole thing? Yeah. So actually – They go, wow, shall I read the next bit? Do you want to know what happens next? Yeah. Do you want to know about the Brontes and Howarth? They're with you. They're absolutely yeah. with you. Moving right at the beginning with a great big long extract from Jane Eyre, and some of them are looking at it, and just the length alone uh, can make things difficult because, you know, we're teachers. But I think you and Pi have a similar mindset with regards to the fact that it, with a challenging text, it's not about handing it to the young people initially and saying, have a go. It's about yeah. the professional expertise of that teacher in yeah. actually enabling the children to access 
the text, whether that be reading the whole thing, if, if that is appropriate in that moment. And I'm sure Pi would fully agree with you that there are absolute texts, like, for example, Jane Eyre, where it wouldn't be appropriate to read the whole thing in one go. But I'm loving that idea of the chunking and then the slow revealing. Yeah, we found that uh, it really goes down well. And uh, it, it is very much related to um, what the memory can handle. Mm. Um, and it's one of those, the key strategies whereby every single child is entitled to um, a literary um, experience. And that experience is, is text past, linked to text present and text across the globe. Uh, but, but every child should be a part of that. Not, not so much the, you know, the old must, should, could, where everyone was split up um, and somehow given work that um, was thought appropriate to them. Um, but some children could always have raised their standards a little bit higher. And um, a whole class approach where you can still use guided reading, mm. but sharing the same text. And the guided reading is for questions thought to be appropriate and ready for children, but within that shared experience of, of the text. It's for everyone. And uh, that's been very important to us. So the chunking has really helped that. An obvious question is, well, if the texts are more challenging, how can those children who find literacy really hard yeah. actually be part of it? And, th and that's one answer, is mm. that when, it, when it's chunked and when groups of just made according to need rather than according to a reading score, then you move on because actually you're, you're grouping them just according to where they really are following that particular objective and concept. Mm. Fascinating. So you mentioned about building up access to knowledge in stages and you said that they were, it's like stepping stones. I'm guessing with multiple books that you've brought out, there are multiple stepping stones, Bob. Absolutely. Uh, there are just, um, says there's, there, I think richness is a word we like very much. The mm -hmm. most recent books were called Opening Doors to a Richer English Curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the, the stepping stones for the books were something along the lines of it began with what the National Curriculum called Heritage Texts in 2014 with mm -hmm. Opening Doors to a Famous Poetry and Prose. Um, and that was um, a kind of love letter from me to literature. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, well, that was it. I was a consultant at the time, going around lots of schools. I certainly wasn't on Twitter uh, or any sort of social media. Um, and I was already um, then 57. Um, so it, it was a kind of a love letter to literature. And people gradually kind of enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and they asked for more. And so um, I wrote Opening Doors to Quality Writing, which mm -hmm. was the next stepping stone. So with more of a focus on how reading into writing can be a very, very fruitful relationship, quality text to quality writing. Um, that one actually won a national award, the Educational Resource Award wow. for Best Educational Book in 2017. So um, it was all of that, all of which was an extreme shock, yeah. um, and uh, but uh, a great ple pleasure. And um, we took it as a sign that the people out there really were interested in how literature could be used, and particularly in primaries, because 
the primaries obviously have to be specialists in every subject, and that is so difficult. Um, and so non-specialists at primary, I think, have particularly appreciated the extra ideas and resources for complex texts. Um, yeah. We found, um, uh, you know, international theorists, people like Professor um, Tim Shanahan, very much saying the kind of thing that, that our books were putting into practice, which is use complex texts. Go, when you're teaching English, go above the level of the most advanced pupil in the class. And then you're going to have to do more teaching. And, and Shanahan's blogs are really good for, for echoing that kind of message all the way across. Um, but it's a message I've been hearing since I just started my teaching, just in my own practice and in, and in classrooms. It, it was something that hit the surface years ago, that it was so easy to drift to teaching to the middle. So why um, do you think we do that? Well, you've got 30 children to teach. And you've got uh, very much um, a a small budget for buying Mm -hmm. your books. You've got the the standard books that you've got. And there's the ease of following comprehension skills, textbooks, um, which are, you know, text question, text question. Um, I just think that there's not much evidence that that actually improves comprehension standards and love of reading and writing. Um, and I think that, but I think it can become a habit. It's certainly all sorts of, you know, habits got ingrained into me as a teacher because you're rushed, you're busy, you're under pressure. Mm. And so, you know, I, I'm someone who's always says things like everything has its place because mm. of, you know, the rainy days, the days when we've had lots and lots of pressure in the last two years, an incredibly difficult time, which, you know, heroic teachers have have brought their children and their school communities through on. Um, and, um, of course, in teaching, there's always time. There's a time and place for everything. But as a standard diet, it just seems that it makes a lot of sense to pitch high, aim high, to have high aspirations. I also think, and I'm probably just going to bang the, the drum of all our schools here, is that very, very passionate people, the, the, the people that I work with, and I hope more of you listening to this will, will contact me and want to work with us too, have this moral, emotional desire for their children to do as well as they possibly can. Yeah. And you need to have the resources to do it in maths, science, English, PE, RE, you actually can't do it without the resources. So if, if I have to, you know, say anything that I'm really proud of, it's that I think we've helped to provide not just the mindsets and the strategies, but the resources mm. so that teachers have got these challenging literary texts to, to work with and they link them with contemporary texts and, and all sorts of other texts as well in whole class reading. So we hope that we are helping to raise those aspirations uh, because, yeah, it's a natural thing to just, you know, in, in a sense, drift to teaching to the middle almost without realising it. And I'm, I'm sure I've done it many, many times. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense, actually, you know, and I think I think you're right. I think it is. But we absolutely have to smash that glass ceiling without a doubt. So talk to me about these resources that you've just mentioned. Where can we find these? How can we access them? 
So the uh, resources, the Opening Doors series, you will obviously find on Amazon. You will find with my wonderful publishers, Crown House. Okay. And you'll find more information about all the titles um, of the unit. So you can search for, uh, you know, any kind of titles and authors that, that you enjoy. You can look on my website, which is um, www.searchingforexcellence.co.uk, and you'll get lots of free resources, webinars, samples, um, as well as the books, and, and lots more information um, about teaching English in an ambitious way. Uh, and perhaps ambition sums up um, what we're trying to help schools with in, in the best possible way. Mm. Um, we're, we're very proud of, I think, by the time, um, and, and this is probably the final stepping stone, which I didn't quite um, explain before because I digressed, the most recent books called Opening Doors to a Richer English Curriculum have much more about using concepts in English, uh, okay. which Pi Corbett also talked about. Um, and concepts do give you a chance to, for example, to teach how to build tension, not just do a poem or do a book. And they give you a chance to group lots of text together. So we give lots of help on how to use a challenging text as a core, whereby there is so much to learn and so much more new knowledge, but then link it with lots of whole text reading. And that could be from, you know, picture book, children's literature, literature. Um, and so the most recent books will give you units that uh, we probably just got a bit more coherent about that um, and, and a bit more of a sense of progression Mm. Um, across the curriculum but, but our, our work is about principles and a toolkit of strategies it's not a package it's not a way of teaching English I don't think there is a single way um, it's so that you the schools can actually then take that further um, we've got a great article by a teacher called Kerry Hope from Ryefield Primary in Uxbridge on the website where Kerry tells her story of how I came to speak to the, to the school and the uh, uh, lots of other schools as well. And quite naturally, her first impression was another speaker, somebody else trying <laughs> to tell us how to teach. And so I, I completely get it. I was always like that when speakers came in. And uh, she sort of delightfully says, well, actually, having taken the ideas away and worked on it, you know, it's caused something of a... Uh, you know, a transformation. Uh, and that's a really nice article of, of how we hope we can get teachers thinking. And do you know what? The first thing Kerry did, once she really understood what we were trying to say about the principles and strategies, was devise her own unit. Um, yeah. I can remember it was on the Kraken and Tennyson's the Kraken. And that's what we love. We yeah. go back to a school and some schools I've been in six, seven, eight years. And I'm just very lucky, even after covid they called me back and, uh, and my team, my wonderful team uh, who worked with me. And uh, they it's a bit like resuming a journey with challenge, and with depth and with richness because they got stimulated by it and they didn't forget. Um, and that's been, you know, really fantastic, too. Uh, so um, it, it's wonderful to hear the teacher stories. We want them to adapt. We want them to. One day, you know, perhaps within a year or 18 months, you won't need the opening doors books. They are a signposter 
to get you all started. And then you devise, of course, you devise your own curriculum. But they are helping schools with big principles because we have found uh, in, in our many, many years consultancy across the team that sometimes um, schools are good on the content, um, mm. on going from stage one, two, three, four. But when you say, why are you teaching this English lesson? They're not quite so strong right. on the rationale. Why are we doing what we're doing? And that has to come first. When you get that rationale, then you get the resources to make high pitch learning a reality. And whilst there are and have been my whole career, many people talking about high aspirations, you do need the resources to mm. make it happen. And you need the thinking to make it happen um, yeah, across the school. We work across schools, clusters, um, LAs, and the, lots of great work with Greenwich LAs and a fantastic visit to Mulgrave Primary in Greenwich, just walking with them from classroom to classroom. The hands up, the excitement, the quirky, unusual writing, the progress in the books. So big thanks to Mulgrave for that day, a very memorable day. Um, and th those are just examples that it's about the schools and the teachers, and we're here to, um, to signpost and give that, I suppose, that little bit of expertise and experience. Yeah. And I really like what you said there, that actually the books are a signpost, but it's about yeah. the teachers taking it on and really considering why they're doing what they're doing, why we are doing what we are doing in the classrooms. You know, I think that why is so important. And the answer shouldn't be because yeah. we've been told to have been doing this for years. <laughs> yeah, actually, I love that. There's a lot of that around. Yeah. Oh, and, my and goodness. Doing it. Yeah, we did this like, you yeah. know, it's this is what we've been doing. This is, you know, or or the, the school up the road does it. Yes. That, I think that's an, always an interesting one. I think, and what what I really like about what you said is it's a signposting, and then you change it dependent on your school because actually no school yeah. is a carbon copy of another school. No, I I, I was in uh, by the way in one school for sixteen years, and uh, sometimes that surprises people because I think I guess people do think they're consultants of people who sort of jumped around really really quickly <laughs> that certainly wasn't me mm. um i love being in in that school uh, for a long time because i learned about all the patterns of change and all the uh the, the difference between flagging up an idea mm. that was exciting and making it work both in a department and in a school um yeah. and uh that that was big learning for me um and when i left and went to work for a local authority it took me a long time to go around lots and lots of schools and get that context and, and now I've been an in, independent um, educationist and as I've said teacher <laughs> but go, going around uh, probably about 500 schools you That's just amazing. never stop learning yeah. and really it, it's an eye-opener when you first do it when you first realize that whatever theory is out there at the moment it, in school A, that may be applied in a certain way, but it'll mm. probably be applied differently in school B, and it might actually be inappropriate in school C. Yeah. So it's school leaders and teachers really understanding where their own school is and how that can move on. Um, but I think that's what partly interested me in, in writing about challenge, because for me, teaching through challenges is it's universal. It's worldwide. Mm. It defies trends because it, it and, it and it actually that applies to every subject teacher. 
you always want to challenge your pupils and start beyond the pupil who is the most advanced, but give access, interventions, scaffolds for all the others. And, and obviously our training sessions and books give the fine detail of our toolkit, which um, our schools are really enjoying using. Um, and report back to us when things don't quite go so well too. Yeah. That's really important to us. And we've, we've got conferences coming up where some of our opening door schools are coming along. They're going to meet each other face to face, which is exciting. And we all insisted on the agenda is, OK, what's tough about this? Mm. Um, uh, with, with a realistic school improvement hat, rather than a sense in which if you kind of buy into something, everything's going to be OK. We wouldn't be asking anyone to buy into anything specific here. We would just say, we think we've got some big principles and some detailed units. I mean, the 80 units are full units, wow. but they are full of opening up questions and varied and flexible um, strategies so that you can find your own space uh, as a teacher in a school to work with it. Um, structure with gaps is one of my favourite phrases. Um we need frameworks and structures or we don't know where we're going, but we need to leave gaps into which wonder, curiosity, creativity can come. And that's not just for the pupils, that's for the teachers too. Yeah. Now you've mentioned Kerry and you've mentioned some of the other schools that have taken on board the opening door principles, but I just want to know what, what impact actually looks like in these schools. So talk to me about impact, Bob. Okay. Um, impact can take various forms. Uh, there are some schools who will say to us, well, look, we're, you know, uh, our data has improved. The reading scores have gone up. Uh, we're all familiar with that um, kind of quantitative approach. But more and more, we are, of course, getting pupils' work coming through. Right. And we're getting teachers saying, well, they haven't written anything like this before. Wow. Um, this is... This has got increased sophistication in its language use. Mm -hmm. It's more quirky. It's more unusual. Um, I've got one example for you, which Ooh, nice. to read. Um, I'm going to have to read the stimulus text first. Um, okay. but I'm, uh, as I often do in my sessions, I'm just going to read out some of it simply for time. But I'm going to read the, out the beginning of it's uh, uh, very topical because it's called Dear March. Uh, it's wow. by Emily Dickinson, mm -hmm. and it's uh, um, and by the way, introducing schools and pupils to famous writers is I'm going to call it a subtext. Maybe it's not. It's maybe it's more powerful than that, but it really works well. So you you find then people say, well, who is this Emily Dickinson? I, I know she's famous. Let's look her up. Let's find out more. And and um, Emily Dickinson was America's uh, one of America's most famous poets now, and. Uh, you know, the century before last, not not well known at all in her mm. lifetime. Um, but her sister found her poems, and they're now internationally very well known. Um, so, dear March, first little bit. Dear March, come in. How glad I am! I hoped for you before. Put down your hat. You must have walked. How out of breath you are! Dear March, how are you? And the rest, did you leave nature well? Oh, March, come right upstairs with me. 
I have so much to tell. Uh, that's this the first section. So there is more that you'll be able to find that on the internet, but it's in our um, richer curriculum six to nine book. Mm-hmm. And Ava from Mottingham Primary, another one of our wonderful schools, and uh, <clears throat> led very much led by Paul and Jacob there the um, initiatives, and they sent me this um, poem from Ava. Year four. I hope you come past. I've missed you. For a minute, I didn't think you were coming because you didn't call. You didn't send us a text. You didn't even write us a letter. You wouldn't be able to make the flowers again. Beautiful. I felt so isolated without you. With you gone, it was like I had no one. It felt like you were gone forever. I wish you could come sooner. What happened? Did you get lost? Was it too early for you this year? Did I count the months wrong? Please take your hat and coat off. Come upstairs with me. I'd love you to stay. Please make yourself at home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well done. Ava. Wow. And, uh, I love um, that. And I love the way she's she's replicated parts of the text, but she's also made it absolutely her own. How wonderful. And a real understanding of what the poem, what Emily Dickinson's poem was about. Yeah, absolutely. You've got it, Tori, in one. And it's it's on the Crown House uh, Publishers site. If you go to my name and then you look at the five books, click and you'll go through to lots and lots of pupils' work, totally mm. free, that you can use in the classroom. And uh, there's lots of... Um, this raises lots of issues and really, for me, addresses lots of the impact mm. issues is Ava would never have written a poem like that if she hadn't read Emily Dickinson's Dear March. Yeah. And if she hadn't had a teacher who I, I, I always like to use the word explored. You can, Unpicked is a word often used, but I prefer explore because it's a lot mm. more exciting. Ava had a teacher who explored Emily Dickinson using teaching strategies, using access strategies, um, developing new knowledge in really interesting ways, and so that she was able to write, um, again, um, probably through the process of taste the drafts, which we use a lot in our books, uh, which is writing for reading, because they write taste the drafts quite early on, and build um, a style which... You know, be- becomes a personal style, but mm-hmm. he's borrowing from great writers. And I sort of I rest my case really on the place of great writers, past and present, and across the globe in our classrooms, but particularly primary, where they haven't yet got onto that specific literary curriculum necessarily. I think it's needed because I think it produces a depth of thinking, response, um, and wonder that is very hard to match. Um, and, of course, Ava's now ready to move on to more. So you imagine Ava by the time she's in year six. Mm. Um, and we've got schools, e.g. Red Barn Primary comes to mind in Hampshire, who've been working with us for all the way through, seven or eight years. And I remember going in there, and year six pupils were debating, you know, uh, Charlotte Bronte, Charles wow. Dickens, it might be Joseph Quello, it might be Grace Nichols, it might be Sue Hardy Dawson, all mm. poets, you know, today, poet, poets, 
writers, novelists, a kind of richness of literature comes through the talk in the classroom. And yes, we're all sold on the importance of reading, but speaking and listening, reading, writing, they're the four modes of language. Yeah. It, when they work together, you get a rich English lesson. Uh, before the national curriculum in the late 80s, there was much less of this separation of reading and writing. It, it, you know, it was done for assessment purposes and um, a bit like we're stuck with it. But speaking, listening, reading, writing are the modes of, the modes of language that are very much working together um, yeah. all the time in a rich English classroom. Well, I recently spoke to Ros Wilson about the importance of talk. As you know, she's passionate about Mm. talk Mm. as as a you. And I think, you know, we absolutely need that, you know, we need to place oracy front and centre as well, um, alongside that reading and writing, because actually without it, it's, you know, it's impossible. But it's interesting listening to that poem and knowing it's from a year four child. You know, I'm a year four teacher. Mm. And I think... Prior to this conversation, I'll be honest, Bob, I think I'd have shied away from doing Emily Dickinson's Dear March with my year four class. But now I'm thinking, no, actually, I, you know, I could do that. So it's sort of opening my mind. That's, that's lovely to hear. And it's very much in line with what happens when we get a chance to speak and to explore with mm. teachers it's the kind of thing that begins to happen and uh because it if it's not anything you thought about before then it isn't anything you thought about and that's that's yeah, why spot on. yeah but i but in a in a you know a long career as a consultant as well as a teacher i always thought well the role of an external person has to be to prompt nudge suggest yeah. inspire something that isn't already there in the culture of the organization or the trust or the LA. And so this is why I became so passionate about challenging text because it was seeing that it was making a difference. So that when I went back to a school, the confidence of teachers had grown because the teachers were reading texts and yes, perhaps especially poetry, that they hadn't read before and it had moved their own confidence and belief on in what they could achieve on behalf of their children. Now you've mentioned poetry quite a bit Bob do you think there is a dearth of poetry in our classrooms? Well I think that you know I think we could do with an injection <laughs> uh, I, I felt I that was could, the case. I think we could do with an injection. Um, I think also we need, um, and this is about where some of our schools are now working with us, uh, is the progression agenda with poetry. Yeah. So that the ambition goes up year by year, term by term, so that the texts used uh, are different get increasingly more complex and deliver increasingly um, interesting concepts. I mean, you can repeat a concept. So if a, you know, if a concept you know, was something to do with you're thinking about the structure of a poem, obviously you can use a much more simple poem when they're younger mm. and you can repeat that concept, but a harder poem 
when they're older. But a plan is needed, a strategy. And I, I think it would be fair to say that uh, there does need to be an injection of um, vision, I think, uh, into poetry. I think there are many schools where they, they're doing some great work using single poems on projects, um, on occasions, if you like. Um, so on a poetry day, it's wonderful. But actually, poetry is for every day. Um, and so I, I think the injection needed is to get more poetry immersed through the planning of progression and continuity. Um, and for that, yeah, we do feel, we certainly feel we can help with that uh, because half of our books are uh, units on poetry. And uh, you, that there is an extra knowledge that is needed that comes from familiarisation. So, so teachers will be very concerned about their own background in poetry um, and other teachers in the staff room will have a very deep background and will get a bit frustrated that other people aren't somehow teaching more poetry as well. That's where you need the big, the big view of the curriculum, where it's a school plan, where poetry is going all the way across. Poetry should be towards the centre of the English curriculum because through poetry, you can probably do your best work on exploring words, phrases, styles, but also big ideas. Let's not forget that literature makes people think about jealousy, about love, um, about wonder, about nature. I'm sorry, at the moment, I'm going to have to include about war. Mm. But, you know, it's there and many, many teachers are using literature <coughs> about war because you, you, we do have to think about it. And when, when yeah. you're young, you start thinking about it in small ways. And that is cumulative, isn't it? So <clears throat> as you get older, your thinking skills um, develop, increase, um, and they get more depth. But it starts when you're young. It's interesting that you say about that, because one of my key memories from my time at school was when we did a poem called Attention, Please. And it was a really, it really hit me hard. <gasps> I loved poetry as a student. I really did. But what I'm thinking as you're talking is that as a teacher, I'm not doing enough poetry. And it's interesting because I was um, with, well, Theresa Kremen was leading one of the teacher reading groups for the leaders. And, you know, she basically said, how many authors can you name? How many poets can you name? Now I can name you loads of authors, but actually current poets and what I love is that you're just sort of listing them off, you know, without thinking about it, Bob. But how many teachers in our classrooms can do just the same? Yeah, and, um, uh, for example, we have a wonderful poet writing called Sue Hardy Dawson. Mm. And I'm always um, putting on Twitter, go, go and get her books. Um, mm. And uh, I just mm -hmm. mentioned her because she's one of many uh, poets out there who are writing really brilliantly. Philip Gross is another one I like very much. Yeah. Um, and it is partly about getting, getting the names around uh, of poets today. And what yeah. we do is, you see, under a concept, so if it was the concept of um, personification, going back to Emily Dickinson's Dear March, mm. we link that with a poem by Sue Hardy Dawson or Joseph Quello. Yeah. 
under the same personification concept. Yeah. And that means you then can read lots and lots of poetry anthologies or single poems all on the same concept. So you get a powerful teaching. That's the, the, the schema that people are always writing and talking about where we're forming a sort of in our memory something that's interrelated. So the kids can really understand those links across all the poems that they're reading. Um, and within that, you've still got the traditional find your favourite, which one didn't you like, why, and what you said, the talk. Talk, 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 pinning yes. up post-its on the board every morning. Which poem did you read last night? Um, did you like the beginning? Did you like the ending? What were your favourite words? But putting it under the umbrella, as we do in, in the recent books, uh, the 2019 books is where we really launched our ideas on concepts. Uh, we are, we're trying to help people just shift a little bit away from doing a poem and into teaching a concept and lots of poetry reading. The schools that have built that over two, three, four years, can you imagine how many more poems yeah. their children have read by the time they go to secondary? Yes. It's unbelievable. And it's, a, it's an immersion in quality poetry, um, which absolutely is going to include you know, all the popular, the writers that everyone knows and people have seen before, all the performance poets, of course, the, uh, the amazing Michael Rosen, who's been inspiring me my whole career. Yeah. Uh, right from when I started, he just emerged <laughs> with Roger McGough in the late 70s with uh, You Tell Me. Uh, you know, it, it's variety and range, but I think you've made a good point, Tori, yourself, that, you know, there's a, there's a bit of work to be done in some schools, some clusters, not elsewhere. I've been into schools where they're flooding them with yeah. poetry, and the effect is very, very positive. But as we said earlier, for the teaching, you do need the teaching sequences. It, it, it isn't it, the teacher introduces a, a pupil to a text, but also explores it and teaches a concept and goes through a specific, um, you know, methodology that they've chosen with um, teaching strategies. Because without the teacher coming back out of poetry again to Jane Eyre, without the teacher, that would not have meant much. And, and I think where there are different mindsets is some people are perhaps saying, well, that's too hard, mm. giving them a bit of Jane Eyre. I'm saying it's not too hard because you've got a great teacher yeah. to introduce it and teach it. It would be too hard. It wouldn't be something you picked up at home. But mainly what's going on in the classroom should be things that children are probably not finding for themselves. That's where our expertise and educational um, initiatives come through. The same way that you're teaching them a maths problem that they wouldn't be able to work out for themselves because you're taking them on um, that much further. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm just loving it. You know, I love the idea of flipping everything on its head. So taking a concept and then choosing the text around that in order to really teach that concept. And I love the fact that you've come back to that thing again about it being built on the belief that teachers are the key people whose ambition for their pupils can make all the difference. And it's their skill set that really matters. Definitely. I, 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 as I've said, I've seen 
well, you know, I could go back. The beginnings of the national curriculum was di- differentiation. That's when the word came in. <laughs> and I have to say the training was differentiate from the top and above mm. the top. But it drifted, it drifted off. Mm. Um, and, you know, things like the literacy hour and all the national strategies years, there would have been really positive things in all of those for if people were able to digest them, adapt them and use them in their own way. It, it, all the way through, it seems to me things go a little bit awry yeah. when something is presented as uh, to a teacher as, look, it's been done for you, um, because it's that teacher's originality, flair, autonomy, uh, belief in their children that comes across in the resources they use, the techniques they use, and their own you know, passionate and personal desire. I see plenty of that. I'm absolutely astounded by the level of talent. And having said I've been in education a long time, the the best schools today are by far the best schools ever, by a long, long way. Uh, It's just incredible. And one thing we're doing now with our network is visiting each other. And this is really paying off. Uh, And people are, through me, are getting the contacts and they're saying, well, can I visit another school who just started with opening doors or have been using opening doors for years and have got more planning in place and have got year sixes who've been immersed in challenging texts for two or three years. And so everyone's learning from everyone else and I am learning from everyone else. It's a team. I love the fact that you are still learning but I also love the fact that you're so utterly passionate about it Bob and that comes through in everything that you're saying it's it's the pupils and it's the teachers who teach them because to see work improving to see kids with you know life chances improved um, and I'd have to say our work is very popular in areas where sometimes the you know, the reading scores aren't so high, where kids, you know, find literacy a bit hard. And and some of those um, trusts that I've worked with, I've mentioned Ad Astra Trust mm. in Hartlepool, absolutely wonderful. Maltby Learning Trust in Maltby. There's two that have just some wonderful, wonderful work going on. I'm really sorry if I can't mention everybody. Um, that, that it's, it's, this is very much part of that agenda, you know, to bridge the gap and the agenda for equality, for social justice. Um, but people put things in boxes. So people will talk about social justice, but then when you say ambition and challenging text, they think that's a different box. Mm. It's the same box. It's the same box. But what our schools are doing is they're making the text accessible so that you've got excellence and equity together. Excellence and equity together. I love that. Oh, goodness me. So much. I just feel I've digested so much information. And and do you know what? I'm definitely, definitely, definitely going to go back and really consider that poetry aspect. Actually, I've got so much that I'm going to consider after our conversation. The the pupil's work makes a big impression on people. And 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 it fires me. I yeah. just people send they put it on Twitter. If you my Twitter is at Bob Cox underscore SFE. I'm regularly getting schools posting a work. There's there's a couple of fantastic uh, schools um, from Greenwich posted things this week. 
and it just fires you up um, because we do need impact. We need to feel that it's that whatever it is, <laughs> uh, it, that, that some you know that, that we're seeing signs that the hard work of schools and teachers is paying off, and and those kids of you know wherever they are, all abilities. And some of our schools are not using the ability word anymore. It's just learners. Yeah. Challenge for everyone. Pitch it high. Give access. Wait and see. Wait and see when they're stuck. Give help when they're stuck. Don't presume they're going to get stuck because mm. you never know. That, that, that Ava has surprised, you know, Mottingham and us with that work. And uh, we stand to be, we should stand to be very surprised by our own pupils. Yeah. And impact isn't necessarily numbers on the doors. And I think all too often in education, we're looking at the numbers on the doors as opposed to let's yeah. look at the work of the children, because actually yeah. that's where we see the real impact. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, the curriculum uh, design work which schools have done, which is very much theirs, as, as mm. I think we've really clarified that the schools are responsible for their own curriculum. Of course, yeah. they are. But our support has helped them make it more ambitious. I think we're getting a lot of impact coming through there in terms of people being able to talk to external people about their curriculum, their understanding of it. The rationale, all of this is, people say it's, it's modern educational landscape. It's always been important. Mm. It's all, you, it, you can't run a school without understanding the curriculum. But it, com- it comes back to that question that you, you've posed earlier about why are we doing what we are doing? Actually, yeah, you know, yeah. a leader needs to be able to stand by what they are doing and explain the rationale and know how they're going about it, the strategy and what, and what they are aiming towards. Yes, yeah, very, very much so, and uh, that's a, it's a very, it's, it's a step. Lots of people are thinking about right now because it's yeah. been such a nigh-on impossible couple of years that people are very much emerging into into new thinking and reset buttons, and um, you know we're getting a lot of a lot of people contacting us with those kinds of mindsets in mind about mm. you know that that challenging English. I think when I started, I I, I might have had a fear that people would think this kind of work is only about pupils who are already advanced. Well, it partly is because, do you know what, for years I did lots of work on what was then called gifted and talented. I never liked the gifted word. Uh, But it is partly about them because teaching to the middle means they're coasting, means that uh, pupils who have already shown that high potential are coasting. So it's great for them. What we really think we've worked so hard on with the help of schools and as a team is is tightening up and making more specific all those access strategies, all those ways in which every single child can be included, but have their own excellence goal, you know, pitched for them. And, and, And the books and the training courses really have got the detail on that. Uh, and then that's uh, I think it's just so important because I've I've heard so much talk, which is very well intentioned over forty odd years, about the fact that so, you know, that children are not as literate as they should be. Mm. But I've always felt, and I've now got enough evidence to see it in front of me, that actually challenging them more, but giving them access 
to keep them part of a rich curriculum is a better way forward than giving them easier work and putting them on separate tables or labeling in any kind of way. We're trying to work without labels. Yeah, so, so important. Bob, you have just been a delight to talk to, but I can't let you go yet because, as you know, I make everyone answer my final question, which is this. I do. (laughs) If you could have been taught by anyone, Bob, living or dead, who would have been your perfect teacher? Well, I am going to cheat. I am going to cheat. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to cheat because I must take the opportunity to tell you about the person who really did teach me because um, he's just been written about in a wonderful book by Gary Toward and Chris Henley called Celebrating Teachers Making a Difference. Do take a look at it. And uh, they've, they've asked lots and lots of people to tell them about their best teacher. So I gave in lots and lots of notes. They've written up the notes in their own style in the book. And, and my teacher's name was Mr. Basil Dumont. Oh, what a name, Mr. Basil Dumont. And Love Mr. that. Basil Dumont was head of English for a lifetime at what was then Thurfield County Secondary School in Leatherhead in Surrey. I hope Thurfield are out there listening. Um, and uh, really... He was an absolute inspiration. I was very lucky to be taught by him. He was um, very debonair. Uh, it was a secondary modern school. Um, so, you know, way back in the 70s, you know, we were some of those people who were, uh, you know, failed the 11 plus. Um, and Basil Dumont took no notice whatsoever of, of anything to do with labels. Um, he put great literature in front of us. He didn't say anything about, oh, this might be hard or you might struggle. He just said, right, come on, we are going to read this together. And, yes, we are talking about a different age, folks, so you, you can't compare the past with the present. But uh, his presence made, made, uh, makes an impression today. Stripey blazer, uh, walking terribly slowly around the school. Like <laughs> of... Uh, Sometimes I have to say, not uh, you know, not, not all scholars, shall we put it that way. And but he never, never walked anything other than slowly. And he spoke like this as he walked into the classroom. Good morning. You're all going quiet now, listening, aren't you? See, that's how he did it. He was quiet. He was never angry. And he spoke in a, an accent I'm not even going to try to imitate. I, the, the rumour was he was French-Jamaican, oh, uh, wow. Mr. Dumont, but uh, I, I couldn't say because you know what you know, children may say all sorts of things yeah. about their teachers. But he took us to the theatre. Well, I'd never been to the theatre. I was wow. probably about 15. And he taught us Shakespeare and nobody would, what do you want to do this for? What do you want to go to the theatre for? And I can remember him announcing, we are going to the Young Vic. And it was, of course, incredible. And then afterwards, the talk in the classroom was so positive. Do you want to go again? Yes, we'll go again. And so it was the beginning of many trips and many activities and many um, 
uh, you know, relationships, I think, with literature. I went on to do it A-level, uh, and then, I, you know, he encouraged me to do a degree. Um, and there were just probably, I don't know, maybe three or four of us that got to university in those days from the school. So, you know, I owe him a lot, but I think particularly in love of literature. Um, and when I became uh, head of English at a secondary, I took literary tours. And I, I, in a different age, yes, I took them to Shakespeare. I also took them on double-decker buses to places like Ireland and Scotland. This is 17, wow. 15-, 16-year-olds. Um, the details of what happened on those trips are certainly not for the radio <laughs> um, uh, for podcast, uh, but uh, great memories. Uh, you, you know, teach, secondary teachers will know there will be some moments on trips like that. Uh, but uh, just – and they used to write brilliantly. In youth hostels, you used to get 15-year-olds – um, standing up on the chair reciting poetry, who mm. uh, who would never have said they loved poetry, but with the culture of the trip and the atmosphere they did. And I think a lot of that came from Basil Dumont. So um, we did, uh, we tried to track him down. I mean, I thought he maybe passed away years ago. In fact, he only died a few years ago. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit sad that I, that, uh, I, I, haven't uh, been able to meet up with him again, but then you know I'm I'm well into my sixties myself, so you probably uh, you know, that was probably a vain hope. So thanks, Basil, and uh, yeah, for all you did. Well, we have a lot to thank Mr. Basil Demont for. We really do <laughs> creating your love of literature. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming on Tiny Voice Talks and t- telling us all how we can open doors. Thank you very much, Tori, indeed. And uh, good luck to all those teachers out there pioneering away. And to our listeners, um, all the um, various links and everything you need to find um, Bob's work, etc., are on the blurb attached to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.